Our scripture reading today is taken from Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 5. But before that, we're going to recap last week's scripture reading as well. And you can find this on page 1072 in your pew Bibles. So we're going to begin reading at Isaiah 8, verse 19. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and, looking upward, will curse their king and their god. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jessica. We will get to the light today. The light breaks in in this passage. But in order to understand the light coming in and, and the hope that the people were hearing in Isaiah's words, we need to remember part of the context of, of what we were talking about last week. Uh, the people of God had, had turned away from God. They had, they had in so many different ways begun to seek other gods. And this is especially true of, of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, this was the northern part of Israel. It was, it was around the Sea of Galilee. It was a place where, where Israel's boundaries were a bit more fluid where people didn't follow the religious laws of Israel quite as, as well as they should have. In fact, many times they simply turned their back on God and embraced the gods of the lands and people around them. They were in a place where people encouraged them to seek mediums and spiritists and other ways of, of trying to connect with the dead and the other world, trying to find a, a security for themselves apart from the God of Israel. But to make matters worse, the people at this time, 
at the time Isaiah is giving this prophecy, were, were caught up in, in what seemed to be wave after wave of hopelessness. There were a couple kings during this time, Ahaz and Pekah, who were notorious for leading the people of Israel away from God, for setting up all sorts of other altars and high places where they could worship the sun and the stars and worship whatever God pleased them. And when, when God had had enough, he called in the Assyrians and the Egyptians. If you read just before chapter 8, you encounter the Assyrians being sent in as God's instrument unholy, ungodly people being chosen by God to come in and remove an unholy and ungodly king who had been oppressing the people. And yet in coming in, they continued the wickedness. They continued to oppress the people of Israel to the point that, that the people of Israel simply cried out, Where are you, God? Where are you? It didn't matter. They thought they follow God or not, no matter what they seemed to do, the people who were in authority over them seemed to crush them and drive them away from God. And those who, who were in the nations around them did even worse. Where were they supposed to turn? What hope did they have? Even more so, there was a division between Israel and Judah during this time. The northern tribes of Israel were seen by the, the tribes of Judah around Jerusalem as, as kind of being less than really pure. They were, there was a division there. It wasn't, it wasn't kind of Dutch and Frisian division. It was even more than that. It was a, a sense that these people have betrayed God by intermarrying with people from other nations who believed in other gods. And even more so, you couldn't trust them because their practices weren't fully honest. There was a, a looking down on them. And a number of times as these kings over the last couple centuries had led the people of Israel away and even Judah was called to help and Judah said, yeah, no, we're not going to come help. You're getting what you deserved. There was a deep, deep rooted sense of hopelessness. The text describes it as the people running around in the darkness, full of gloom. The only thing they can see is utter darkness. I've been in some dark spaces. I've shared one of those stories here before. Physically dark space. Uh, my wife and I thought we'd have this great romantic getaway, 10 days away, we went down to, uh, through the southern part of the U.S., and we happened to stop at Mammoth Cave. Mammoth Cave is in a, a great cave system, just incredible cave system, lots of opportunity to explore, lots of, of history in the caves. As we were in that cave, we were about 300-some feet down below the ground, and the lights went out. And a sense of panic sets in, because you can't see anything. We literally could touch our noses with our hands and not see our hand. It was dark, an oppressive darkness. 
It only lasted a minute or so, and lights got turned back on. We found out later that the, the tour guide ahead of us had flipped the lights off when her tour finished going through, and our tour guide hadn't gotten close enough to keep the lights on. That's all it was. But it was that moment of going, <gasps> and the thought, what if we never get out? For many of us, that thought has nothing to do with the physical environment and how dark it is physically. We feel that same type of panic and that same type of hopelessness that the people of Israel felt. Maybe it is because of mental health stuff and, and a sense of depression that continues to weigh on us that no matter what we do, we never seem to be able to get out from under it. Maybe it's because of tests that are going on and, and we've had a number of medical tests go on and, and we feel the decay in our own bodies in a sense that we can't even get away from the brokenness that's in us. It's tearing us apart, literally. Perhaps for some of us today, as we've gathered, the darkness is coming upon us from something else. Maybe an addiction. Maybe a broken relationship that you thought was going to last forever. Maybe something that you're not yet even ready to give voice to. That's the hopelessness. The hopelessness that's in this text, the hopelessness that the people of Israel were feeling, where they get in those spaces and the only thing that they can figure out to mutter is, where are you, God? You've abandoned us. You've left us. We have no hope. And then you get this word. I wonder, as the people heard this word, if, if they almost felt like Zechariah. You remember Zechariah? It's, it's part of the telling in Luke of the Advent story. Zechariah is, is in the temple, and he's going through his priestly duties and, and taking care of things, and, and an angel appears to him and says, you and your wife, who've been barren for so long, are going to have a kid. And not only are you going to have a kid, but that kid is going to be the one who makes the way for the Messiah. And, and it's almost too good to be true. It's such a good word in a place where hopelessness seemed to be reigning that Zechariah can't help himself but say, how do I know this is going to happen? In other words, don't you dare wake up that hope because it's going to be too painful to continue if it doesn't happen. That's the space as these words come in. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. The immediate response is, Okay, do we dare to trust you? Do we dare to open up that door of hope again? Do we dare let the light come in to this darkness? Because quite frankly, as much as we hate the darkness, it's familiar. And there's an odd sense of safety in it right now. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. This word, as people rejoice at the harvest, was really kind of potent. You see, one of the things that was happening then, and it had happened several times along the way, all the way back to Gideon, who we'll get to in a minute, it has been that as the people of Israel were, were planting their crops and they'd sow their fields and all, all, harvest, or all season long they would, they would try to tend to the crops and the crops would grow up and right at harvest time, raiding parties from other countries would come in, the surrounding countries, and they would come in and they would grab the harvest for themselves and they would leave the land. And then the oppressing kings that would come along would say, we demand a percentage of your harvest. And not only that, the kings of Israel were saying, we want some of your harvest. And by the end of it, everything they had worked for only reminded them of how oppressed they really were. Are you really saying, God, in this word through your prophet that a time will come where we can rejoice at the harvest instead of weep and mourn and gnash our teeth? Because of the bitterness we feel? Hope is being slowly built up. God, through Isaiah, is encouraging the people to trust him again. They add to this, As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. This is, is referring back to the Midian's defeat, is referring back to the time of Gideon, where there was an oppressive enemy, a, a foreign government ruling over the people of Israel. And there was, during that time, when you read all of the story around Gideon, all sorts of raiding parties coming in. And yet God takes someone like Gideon, who seems to be the most insignificant of all people. He's from the, the most insignificant tribe, kind of isolated off to the side, a no-name person who nobody expected anything from. And God raises him up, and he gathers this tremendous army with him, and God says, too much. Too many people with you. Whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down, small because I need you to realize that the overcoming of your hopelessness is not by your strength and your might, but by my grace. And Gideon takes a few hundred men and surrounds the Midian army and, and breaks, breaks those clay jars with the lights in them and the light begins to shine in the darkness. And the Midianites become fearful and end up turning on each other and killing themselves. And they are routed. And a time of peace enters in among God's people. They experience peace for the next generation. And, and Isaiah is saying to them, that is what's about to happen. You feel this hopelessness and you feel as if it has surrounded you and it is insurmountable. But I'm telling you, I am at work to restore your hope and I will do just like I did with Gideon. I will shatter the enemies that seem impossible for you to overcome and you will know as the light breaks into the darkness that I have arrived. And he continues on because he's not done reassuring them of giving them new hope. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment ruled, rolled in blood will be destined for burning. 
will be fuel for the fire. The only time, the only time they would have taken their boots and they would have taken their garments and rolled them up and thrown them in the fire was they got to a place where there were no more threats, where they no longer had to worry about the next season and the next enemy that was going to come to get them. The word being given to them through Isaiah is is not simply that I'm going to do this one time, that I'm going to set you free one time for one generation like I did with Gideon. I'm going to go a step further. Everything that you have done to feel like you have to protect yourself and guard yourself, I'm going to eliminate the need for it. I'm going to remove all the threats from you. Next week, we're going to talk about how God does that. For unto us a child is born. And the ridiculous idea in that culture of a child becoming the Savior. But for today, hear this promise beckoning us towards Christmas Day. Hear this promise of God entering into our spaces of hopelessness. That God really does hear our cries. That God really does see us in the darkness that we feel. That God really is at work to bring light to the dark spaces in our hearts. To bring light to the dark spaces where sin seems insurmountable. To bring light into those spaces. Spaces where we feel the brokenness in our own bodies. And we wonder where God is. God is sending a word that's a little bit above a whisper here. It's moving towards a shout. It's coming to us saying, hope is on its way. You have reason to hope again. I will make things new. I will set things right. I will release you. Not just in this moment, but from every enemy that has ever threatened you. It's the invitation in this Advent text. The invitation to trust and belief to dare to hope again, to allow that hope that is bound, the hopelessness that has bound us to be shattered and allow the hope within us that we have held on to and we have shackled down, almost daring not to believe, to be set free. To believe that even in the midst of the worst circumstances we have ever imagined possible, God still loves us. God still sees us. God still is at work making all things new. In Jesus Christ, the reason for this season, we take hope that in the midst of the darkness, light is coming. In the midst of hopelessness, hope is being reborn. Let's pray. Father, We pray, we pray that you would be true to your word, that you would enter into the spaces of our lives that feel so dark, so heavy, so oppressive, that the only thing that we we can cry out to you, the only prayer we can pray is, where are you, God? May you enter into those spaces. May you enter into them even now, even today, and remind us that you are with us. May this covenant promise that you have given us in your word that we have seen this morning in Ophelia's baptism, 
May you help that to ring true in the depths of our hearts. That we might see the light breaking in. That we might experience the renewed hope that you offer us in Jesus Christ. And draw us to him. Open our eyes to his life, to the light that is in him as we anticipate his birth and his second coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite us to stand and sing together a a version of Amazing Grace that has a, a refrain in it of my chains fell off, I've been set free. Please stand.